0: That's a really hard question and and it really it really depends on context it really depends on where you are um do you have like something in mind specifically that you're thinking about like that's controversial uh, like are you re- referring to like Genesis one and two like are you referring to' because there's so m- the genres in each book are so different. Like Psalms, you should not take everything in the Psalms literally because it's poetry. Like the the trees are not literally clapping. And then there's some places like in Genesis, (laughs) I know, like the trees are not literally clapping. You don't see it. But there's some places in Genesis where the snake, the serpent, the nekosh in the Hebrew will literally eat dust all the days of his life. It's like, well, okay, snakes are not eating dust for all the days of their life. So it's like the question in itself, you you can't, no, you cannot take everything in the Bible literally because the Bible uses a lot of metaphoric language to convey these truths. And it's not to say the Bible is not true, but it does mean that the biblical authors used language and metaphor and idiomatic expressions to convey what they were seeing or what they were experiencing. Much like how you and I do that. Like, if you talk to somebody from another country, like, for example, the one I love, I teach uh, Spanish and I was explaining this to my kids the other day and I was like, hey, listen, like, you can't, you can't say that in Spanish because it's an enigmatic expression or it's slang. It'd be like me saying it's raining cats and dogs. You say that to somebody from Vietnam, they're going to look up in the sky and be like, what? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like,
0: what? are you serious or you go and you say that's cool. Right. You would be like, Oh yeah, it is cool. But other people might like, is it cool outside? Or here's an expression. We all know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Ooh. Yeah. And, and there's all those stuff, um, you know, in the Bible, like one of my favorite ones is where in second Kings, uh, the prophet of Elijah is being – these kids are making fun of him, and they're calling him bald. Like go, he, They're saying, go up, baldy. Oh, um, yeah. and, and God summons basically two man eating bears and kills 40 ewes. So what's going on there? Like what in the world? To us, it seems really weird. The expression they're using, go up, means go up to Mount Hermon. And worship other gods so the context of that is hey go up to mount hermon and worship another god except for yahweh or else we're gonna we're gonna hurt you and the and it's interesting because the youths probably going to be like young teenagers and there's 40 of them which represents the the princes of israel because there's there was 40 at the time so it was as a nation they're trying to collectively get Elijah to apostatize they're forcing him to so that all of Israel would fall away and God's like nope sending two man eating bears plus the other of course the moral of the story is don't make fun of bald people or else bears will eat you. so that's (laughs) that's fun don't make fun of bald people guys like they're you don't mess with them so to go back to that it's like we miss all this language all the time um even in Genesis where you have such a misunderstood chapter in the book like i was talking about this the other day with messianic rabbi who speaks hebrew and he's talking about how um it's translated in english in the beginning like it's the start of all but if you actually look at the hebrew it's just the beginning up again it's just the start so was there some pre-created world prior to genesis are there other humans other than adam and eve in the garden i think there is because you have this interesting place where Cain tells God, hey, you have to give me the mark or please mark me so that other people may not kill me outside of the garden. What other people are they referring to? There's only Adam and Eve. So who's the other people? So there's a lot of this stuff that's not mentioned in the Bible. So I it's a hard question, right? So, But I think there's a temptation for Christians to think if you say it's not it's not literal and not all of it's literal, then it cannot be true. And somehow you're, you're abandoning or you're sacrificing inerrancy, which is simply not the case. That's not even what inerrancy is. Inerrancy just simply means the Bible's true in all it teaches. Um, Like when Jesus says the kingdom of God is the smallest, the must is small, the smallest of seeds, like the mustard seed. That's not right. The mustard seed is not the smallest seed. But Jesus is not teaching botany. He's teaching about the kingdom of God. He's teaching theology. So I, I, it's just, it's a really hard question because I just, I don't think that that, it, it's kind of a loaded question. Like, what are you specifically referring to? So.
1: Yeah, again, I like learned so so much from, like you. you obviously have incredible expertise with theology because you're just able to answer these questions like, Boom, boom, boom. And what I thought was really interesting was how you said, how you were how talking, you said you're talking with a messianic rabbi and you were talking about the, um, about the, how the Hebrew, uh, how, what in the beginning means in Hebrew. And then you were talking about like how Cain says, tells God to mark him. And then you, you, like, cause that doesn't make sense on its own. Like, cause that, that was, I was listening to a book and I think it was, um, I think it was maybe, uh, well, I don't know if it was a book that was written by someone who's an agnostic atheist, or maybe it was it was a book called God and the Quran by a guy named Jack Miles. But um, that that verse was was brought was brought up, and when you contextualized it with 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 the original Hebrew, then it makes sense that there were actually other people in in the garden as well. It wasn't just simply that you know God made Adam and Eve, and no one else. He he made Adam and Eve, but but in other people, but he also but he specifically interacted with Adam and Eve like That that, that to me is a fascinating new way to look at it. Yeah. And and what make Adam and Eve unique is that
0: they're the God essentially creates them and ordains them to be the high priest and the king to represent humanity. So the book of Romans says they're the the fed head of humanity. So they represent humanity. So Adam is both priest and 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 a king. That's why Jesus is compared to Adam, because Adam, he's Jesus is the greater Adam. Uh, He's of the line of Melchizedek for priesthood, and he's of the line of Judah. And so that he is, he is going to, he's reversing what Adam did in the garden with Eve. And Eve is the mother of all. They, they are, again, goes back to the question, literal people, they're actual people, but there's so much metaphor surrounding and symbolism that convey their roles, And so it's, it's again, like, it's so different from English, how Hebrew is like Hebrew. When you look at the old Testament, you read that thing and you understand like what these guys are doing. They're literary ninjas. They are ninjas. Like they paint pictures with words. It is truly remarkable. Like even just like the ending. So like the ending of the old Testament, maybe some of you guys know this. Maybe you don't, maybe your listeners know this is that. The Old Testament canon that we have, the last book of the Bible, we typically have Malachi. Right? That's not the last book in the Hebrew Bible. It's actually Second Chronicles, and Second Chronicles is talking about the great arrival of Cyrus the Great and the King that will come. And in the Hebrew text, it ends in the middle of a sentence. It's it, it's almost anticlimactic. They're waiting for someone to finish the old testament they're waiting for someone to come and fulfill all that's being foretold and then from the jewish canon it goes right into matthew and it goes into the genealogy here's the one here's the somebody greater than cyrus the great here's the one that's actually going to liberate us from the captives from our from our gentile captives and not only that but he's going to rescue us from sin and death and bring the kingdom of god and the day of the Lord is upon us the kingdom of God is upon us, and so it, it's just they use so much of the advantages of the language and God does that because that's how people would understood the text God did that and gave people license to use that because that's how people would have understood it at the time and we can understand it today because the Bible's written for us today um, you know God could have simply Downloaded the gospel into our minds. God could have simply just say, "Look, here's the gospel, basically in three pages," and He doesn't do that. He uses a story, like the Bible's about a story, and story has metaphor, story has symbolism. Like my gosh, have you ever seen the Avengers? It's just unbelievably epic, and that's really what the Bible is. It's not this boring rule book uh, where you have do's and don'ts, but it's the epic story about how God is trying to get basically sin and hell out of earth and how he's trying to redeem earth and how he's going to come back and how he's going to do it. So that's, so again, it's just, it's really difficult to say like, okay, this percentage of it is literal. This percentage of it is poetic. And you know, like, this is true. This is not true. Like, it's just, right uh, i mean you you have to really go through the weeds of the text cuz there's so much there's so much complexity there there's nothing like anything written ever i trust me
1: no i totally agree the the uh the bible uh the whole the whole the whole deal i mean the the old the the torah is an amazing book on its own it is so so descriptive uh so in, so intelligent theologically um the narratives in there are um, second to none and the the character development is is same second to none but then you have the new testament and you you, you add that in as the this the final culmination of the um hebrew scriptures and then regardless of if you know you, you know you're gonna you're gonna accept jesus as the messiah or not you you have i think you i personally think that that you know you're, you're gonna have to say wow this whole story put together this isn't. This is an amazing narrative because you're expecting this, you know, huge king to come save the universe, but in actuality, we're given a, a a child who's born in a manger. Then he goes around and preaches love to people, and then he dies for the sins of humanity. And then in the, in the final gospel, we actually figure out that he is God himself who dies for the sins of humanity, and rises again. So to me, it is uh, it is the greatest story ever told, regardless of if, if it's true or not. Um, to me, um. It is, you know, regardless of if I am, um, an atheist or a, or, or a Christian, um, it is, it is truly the, the best story I, I think could, could be written. And I don't think we'll see another one and we haven't seen anyone, anyone, I mean, anything like in the past Yeah, But yeah, so, um, maybe Noah, do you want to ask uh, number 15, the final question now? And we, um, we also, so we asked this for everyone that we've ever interviewed on the podcast, um. But uh, what does it mean to be? So we always ask, like, what does it mean to be part of X religion? You know, so in this case, what does it mean to be an evangelical Protestant?
0: Um, What it means to be a Christian is that is I am what I am by the grace of God, that because Jesus died for me and that he saved me at my worst and loved me through my worst. And has lifted me to the stars. And I am so beloved and accepted by him and that he has made me righteous. I am what I am by the grace of God. And I am so free in Christ. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. And I I could care less if I get my life's goals because I have the thing that I've been looking for my whole life, even when I realized I wasn't I wasn't looking for Jesus, but in my hearts of hearts, it needed Jesus. And, and he completely fulfilled me. I am what I am by the grace of God. And I can never look my nose down at people. I can never look down at people and be like, oh, you're worse than me because he saved me at my works. And if like, that's, that's the thing about God I love is that God gives us grace, not because he's good. It is because he's good, but what do you owe a God that gives you grace? you owe him everything. He gives you everything so that you owe him everything. He's a God that puts you into his debt. And all I want to do in this life is to serve him. And what he wants, he doesn't want my good works for his sake. It's actually what Luther says. God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. And so what God really wants us uh, people to do is to go and be God to people and to love people well and to self-sacrificially give exactly how Jesus did. And to sit with the lame, to sit with the poor, to sit with the outcasts. So much of religion, guys, is that a lot of religious groups do this. A lot of religious, do not, and I'm trying not to knock people. I don't want to sound super judgmental, but we have to have people that we look our noses down at people. We have to have an enemy. We have to have, and, and there's there, the other people are the problem. Right, Other people are the problem. This is the problem with politics is that there has to be a tribe and we have to look our nose down at those people because they don't believe how we believe. And really what the gospel says is you are all the problem. You are all the problem. And if you it's what V for Vendetta says in the movie, if you want to know who to blame, look in the mirror. And it And it really is that. And because of that, because I know my depravity and that I don't deserve it, I can just. I, I'm so beloved and accepted by Him. I can just radically give, and it's so freed, and it's it gives you so much purpose. So that that's what it means to be a Christian is that you're going and you're being the people of God, and that you're also a part of the greatest revolution ever. Every revolution in existence simply makes things worse in this sense because. They go and they try and reshape society. And by reshaping society, they mean, okay, we're going to get the people we don't like out of power and put the people we like in power. But the wheel keeps spinning, and there's still this, this corruption. There's still this thing. Perfect example of this is Hunger Games to try and articulate the point I'm making. So they're, they're working really hard to get rid of the Hunger Games, Hunger Games where they're sending kids off to die for sport, essentially. And at the end, they're like, okay, the best, now we got the people out. Now we got the evil, you know, district one out. What we need to do is we need justice. So we need to bring the hungers, hunger games back to, to solve the problem of the hunger games. It's like, what? Like you, you worked so hard to get rid of the hunger games and now you're bringing it back. You became the monsters that you said you were going to slay. And that's what every revolution does is they inevitably in trying to create the utopia, because we're, we're imaging God and we're trying to be like God and we want the utopia, we are not God. And we're not perfect and we're going to make mistakes. And so it, we're part of the greatest revolution on earth because God is the one that's going to come and he's going to smash the wheel and he's going to bring the kingdom and he's going to solve all the issues. Um, there's going to be no need for democracy anymore. We're not going to vote anymore. There's going to be no more voting because he is the king. And whatever he decrees is going to happen. That's good news. But there's also bad news, too. It's like when he comes, he's going to bring judgment, which Judgment Day is the best thing ever because it means no one, all the wrongs in the world, all the racism, injustice, and all that, it's going to be written off. It, it, it's going to be taken care of. But that also means in Judgment Day, what hope is there for you and I? Because if we don't put our faith in Jesus, it's either we're on hit. It's just like he said in Joshua, it's like nobody's on my side. You're either on my side or you're not. It's not are, are you fighting my enemy, you know, my political enemy or this political enemy? Like, God, I'm trying to get you to fight the Republicans or Democrats are like, I'm trying to Or the Republicans are like, I'm trying to get God to fight the Democrats. He, they're at, God's actually on my side. And God's looking at both of them like, no, nobody's on my side. It's actually are you on my side or are you against me? And that's that's the call, is that we're called to preach the revolution, but we're also called to kings come back. And are you on his side or are you not? Like if you're this is war. This is what Luke says. This is war. If you're not on my side, you're making things worse. And so that's that's what we're called to be as a Christian, but we're called to be peacemakers, we're called to make our cities better, to be to be a place of we're, as a church, we're called to be a shelter in the storm for people who are weak and weary and that are so in need of meaning and purpose um, that their hearts are looking for. And we're called to be a family and we're called to like do stuff together, like have fun, like, you know, despite what it may, people may think Christians are, cannot, you know, they don't have to be absolute bores and prudes. Um, like you could be funny. You could do stuff like you could. Like that's the thing. You're just normal people, but we're doing life together in relationship with God, and furthering the kingdom—the greatest revolution of all time.
1: Wow, that was uh that that was beautifully said. Uh, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We we really uh, this 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 for me was 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 an absolutely incredible episode. I learned so much. I pretty much learned that I. Really need to look at at the at the Old Testament and really need to read the book that you recommended, the Unseen, um, covering the supernatural worldview. Totally have to read that by Dr. Michael S. Heiser. Uh, will I will certainly look into the um look look into um you know textual criticism from from uh, like Bart Ehrman's you know scholarly papers, not the ones that he's, not the books that he's published to everyone, and also the um the um some of the evangelical responses to to, to those as well, and um. Yeah, I'll definitely be um be, be looking into the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and all of it. So thank you so much for uh, imparting your, your knowledge upon us. You obviously know a ton about theology. It is mind-blowing. And so thank you so much for, for this about, maybe, maybe about an hour and uh, 15 minutes with us. We super, really appreciate it.
0: Appreciate you guys having me on. And if you guys ever have questions or you just want to reach out, uh, you can find me on Instagram. Um, I think it's B.C.Salt71. If you guys, I'm sure you'll find it. It's the guy with Jesus stuff and lifting videos, because that's the <laughs> other thing I'm really into is weightlifting. And uh, I also have my own podcast, Theosis Radio on apple if you guys want to check that out totally cool but yeah please reach out if you need anything it was great being on the show
1: awesome thank you so much and i will look at theosis radio um, like actually right after this because I'm, I'm incredibly fascinated with that because you imparted so much uh knowledge of of the scriptures on us so thank you so much uh for this uh opportunity to speak with you this has been the Godcast. i am xavier i'm riley stay tuned for planned future episodes such as an interview with an imam an interview with a Baha'i expert and an interview with a Catholic priest.